We are continuing our study through the Gospels, and we're finishing up Matthew today. And we've talked about Jesus being the king. We see the crown, the kingdom, and he's the coming king, the king who was prophesied about. And he ushered in his kingdom, and we see that as we have gone through the different passages in Matthew. And next week, we will be looking at the book of Mark and the servanthood of Jesus. But we conclude our time on the kingdom of God and the kingship of Jesus as we'll look at Matthew chapter 25. But if we go back, uh, we would remember that we started this sermon or we started this series uh, with the greatest sermon that was ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, God issues his kingdom ethic, his kingdom spirit. And the way that we are to live that's different from all of the world. And when that sermon is concluded, when that great sermon is concluded, it ends with this parable, the parable of the house. And in it, Jesus says that everyone builds a house. Either you're building your house upon the rock or the sand. And in that parable, he says this, He says, we all are building a home. We all are building a life, so to speak, metaphorically. We all are building a house. The question is, is it on the sand or the rock? Everyone builds a house, so that's number one. Number two, everyone encounters storms. Storms will come against your house. Whatever you build, whatever is your foundation, storms will come against it. Those are two givens. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. So we're all building a life, a home, so to speak, and storms will impact every one of us. But Jesus says this, the question is not, are you building one, not, are there storms, but what are you building your house upon? Some build it upon sand, and he said, when the storms of life come, then it blows away. But build your house on the rock, it will not guarantee you against storms. But your faith, your purpose, your reason exists, continues, because you've built it upon the rock. And we talked about the rock being the confession that Peter gave in Matthew chapter 16, that in order to enter into the kingdom of God, we must recognize that he is the rock. And we have been challenged to build our life upon the rock of our salvation, upon Jesus Christ. This morning, we'll look at one final parable, and this one's found in Matthew chapter 25, beginning with the 14th verse, and we call this kingdom investing, kingdom investing. Uh, Many years ago, let me share this little parable story. Many years ago, when uh, I was in school learning to become a minister, uh, I was in a preaching class, and I had a professor who was very renowned. Everybody regarded him as one of the uh, best professors, but also probably the toughest professor on campus. And so the way that the preaching class would work, there would be a few of us in there. And uh, I remember the professor telling us the first week, here's what's going to transpire. I'm going to give you your first sermon assignment. I'm going to give you the text, and then you build a sermon around it. And then the next week, the very next week, you're going, to, you're going to pick a sermon text, and then you're going to do another sermon. So the first one, I'm going to give you the text, tell you what I want you to do, then you do it. And you'll come in here the following week, and uh, we'll listen to it. And then the next week, you'll do another one. 
And so he picked out the first three guys. Uh, the first guy was a guy named Alan. Alan had a lot of charisma. You could tell he was gifted. The second guy was a guy named Mark. Mark was a, a, a good communicator as well. And then the third guy was a guy named Matthew. And so they all got up to, to do their message. And uh, first of all, you know, Alan gets up, and Alan does a great job. I was just thinking, whoa, that guy's a lot better than me. And uh, he speaks and preaches and goes through his message. And afterwards, um, the professor gave him some insights. And he said, um, Alan, that was really good, uh, but I'd like to hear a little bit more background. Uh, also, I'd like you uh, to start off by getting the audience's attention, maybe with an illustration or a fact, or think about that. And, and then in the closing, I'd like you to bring it down just a little bit. You, were, you had us all up here excited, but bring it down. Let's, let's have a moment to think about it and be a little bit pensive about it. So Alan wrote those notes down studiously, and he wrote those down. And then um, Mark got up. He did his message. I thought that was pretty good, uh, certainly as good as I could have done. And when Mark got through with his message, um, he gave him some insight. He said, Mark, you gave a lot of background, but not a lot of application. Uh, Mark, I think it would be good for you to tell a joke because... Quite frankly, uh, if you're not careful, you can tend to be a little bit dry, but you did a good job, and he gave him some things he could work on. He gave him this list, and Mark wrote them all down. Then he got to Matthew. Matthew did his sermon, and um, Matthew honestly was kind of, he was really dry, and, um, and he read, it seemed, looked like to me he was reading his whole sermon, and I think the content was probably pretty good, I guess, but I mean, he, he was boring. I felt sorry for him, you know what I mean? I was kind of glad there was somebody in there worse than me, but, you know, poor Matthew. <clears throat> well, then he gave Matthew his feedback. He goes, Matthew, first of all, he said, next time you preach a sermon, uh, I want you to just have a couple of points, and I want you to look at the audience. I want you to preach without notes next time. He said, you read every word of your sermon. He said, and it's obvious that you'd put a little time into it and that you knew what you were talking about, but it didn't come across. You didn't use any humor. You didn't, you didn't have any really good stories. You didn't do anything. You just got up and you read this sermon that I, I can tell you had spent some time with, but it didn't resonate. I didn't have any application points. There's nothing that I would remember about that sermon. He gave him about nine or ten things that he probably ought to do. And I could tell Matthew probably wasn't taking it real well. But anyway, so the next week rolls around. We get to pick out whatever sermon, or they get to pick out whatever sermon they're going to do. So they're th- these three, they're doing it again. It's the next Tuesday. So they get up. And uh, Alan gets up, and he does his sermon, and I mean, it's amazing. He, he everything our professor said to heart. It was good. I mean, it was powerful. I laughed. I cried. I mean, it was one of those kind of things, you know. It was great. I'm thinking, good night. If he makes an A, I'm hoping for a C. And then, um, then Mark gets up. He does his, and his was even better than last time. He did a great job. I thought his was really good. I could have sat under his preaching. He had obviously taken all the notes and taken all the advice given to him, and uh, used it, and he did a good job. And then it was really interesting what Matthew did. Matthew got up, and he started preaching. And he first, he started off, he, he, he looked at us all, he smiled for just a moment, and he gave the title of his message, and then he read the exact same sermon that he had done before. Word for word, he just read it. I mean, he did exactly what he told him not to. And not only that, he's doing the same old sermon, which made me wonder if he had any others. I mean, it's the only thing you've ever had. And he's reading it word for word, every word. And it's, bless his heart, it's just as boring as it was last time. He finishes, and then he says, now, Professor Greg, I know that you are a tough, tough professor. I know that you, 
you know, you expect a lot, and I want you to know that I had, I had worked on this sermon really hard, and I didn't feel like I could adequately do another one with the time that I had, and, you know, there's all studying going, and I just felt like, you know, you need one, and so I, I knew this one, and so that's why I did it, and uh, I know you may be a little frustrated, but I want you to know, I, I know how much you require and how much you expect, so I, I just took the one that I had, and I tried to, to do the best that I could with it, and uh, that's why I've done that. So I just want you to know, and, and you said I could do any text I wanted. He goes, no, I said you could do any other text that you wanted. He said, and he paused for a moment, and he thought for a minute, his glasses were down his eye, and he goes, Matthew, he said, you lazy and wicked student. He said, you didn't put any time or any effort in that. You discounted everything that I told you. And you've come in here and done the same thing that you did the last time. And you've wasted my time. You've wasted all these students' time. And you haven't even cared to get in the text to learn something. You haven't taken any of my advice. And all you've done is come in and read the same thing that you read last week. I don't think that you should be in ministry. And I certainly don't think that you should be in my class. Get out and don't come back. And I want to encourage you to withdraw from seminary and get out of school and go find something else that you can do because you are wasting my time. You are wasting the school's time. And if that's the way you think and if that's where you are and if you're going to put any more effort into that, the last thing I'd want you to do is be in one of our churches. Ooh, am I next? (laughs) And you can just feel the tension. Now, you may think that's really harsh. By the way, I started this off telling you this is a parable, so that's exaggerated. But honestly, that's a picture of what's being communicated in this text right here. Let's read it together, and there's a couple things to consider as we look at this. Every one of us, the Bible's they're going to say, are, are entrusted with opportunities, with resources, with time, and with talent. And the question is, not how much you get, but what are you doing with what you've been given? And we all do one of three things with what we're given. We either indulge in our resources, in our opportunities, in our finances. We take it and we indulge in it. We invest it. Or number three, we amass it. We just get more of it. We hoard it. So my question to you this morning, are you indulging with what you've been given? Are you investing? Are you simply accumulating and amassing? Right here in this text, we're going to see that the master entrusts, the master blesses, and the master judges. Entrust, blesses, judges. Let's look at our text, Matthew chapter 25 beginning with the 14th verse. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. So uh, as we look at this, they use the term talents. And there's a lot of debate exactly how much is a talent worth, uh, but we know it was a sizable amount. We know conservatively it would probably be equal to about $200,000 today. So this is a sizable amount, and whether it was in the form of an agrarian of crops, we're, we're not sure because he does mention 
his property, but however, it was the way in which they bought and sold goods. To one, he gave five talents. So if one talent is worth at least $200,000, that means this one servant has been given a million dollars. In uh, our students' economy today, that's a lot of jack, okay? To one, he gave five talents, a million dollars. To another, he gave two, $400,000. This is a sizable amount. And to another, 200000 So they all receive a large portion of what the master owns. Each, the Bible says, according to his ability. Not everybody gets the same amount. It's not equal all the way around. Why? According to their ability. Their responsibility. So according to your ability. Then he went away. And we know from Luke chapter 19, when he tells the story, we know that he went away for a long period of time. And he who had received the five talents, the one million dollars, went at once and traded them. Now I think it's interesting that the text says that the one who received five, and remember he said according to your ability, he went and immediately, that's the word that could be used, can tra- translated right here, that he went at once or immediately and traded with him. He immediately starts investing, starts trading, starts working, starts using what the resources that he's been given. He doesn't go home and go, honey, you know what? He's going to be gone a long time. I think we're fine. Uh, let's pay off the car. Let's get another house. Let's get a new TV. He immediately starts to use what he's been given, and he trades with him. And he made five more talents. He makes another million dollars. And the Bible says, so also he who had two talents made two more talents. So he took the $400,000 and now he's got $800,000 worth of product, worth of uh, worth. Then the next verse, the Bible says, but he who received the one talent, the 200000 went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. So the five multiplies it to ten. The two multiplies it to four. The one who has one, he goes and he digs a hole and he puts it there. Now, what's interesting, we may think that's a rather odd thing to do, but in the, uh, in the ancient world, that was the most secure thing you could do. If you had something you wanted to pass on from generation to generation, or if you had a sum of money that you were going to owe later and you wanted to make sure you had it, that's exactly what you'd do. You'd go dig a hole somewhere, you would bury it, you would have it marked where only you knew how to get to it because there were no vaults back then. There were no safety deposit boxes. So this is the process that you would go through. And so the picture is here. Here is not that it's bad to say, but that he's taken the master's money and he's hidden it somewhere and that he's not even going to try. He's not going to do anything with the gift that the master has entrusted him. So that's the picture of what's transpiring here. And the Bible says, um, and now after a long time, we don't know if this is two years, three years, five years, ten years, but after, let's say after a few years, and I'm sure many of them were thinking, you know, he's probably not coming back. Uh, you know, it's been a while. I wonder if this is ours. The guy who had won, he goes, I, maybe I can dig this up after a few years. Whatever he was thinking, I mean, it's been a while. And he starts to wonder if he's coming back. But the Bible says that 
um, after a while, the master of the servants came and settled the accounts with him. There was a reckoning. There was an assessment. There was a judgment. He, bring, he said, bring me everything that I gave you and bring me what you have done with it. And the Bible says that he who had received the five talents, the one million dollars, came forward bringing five more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five more talents. And what does the master say to him? His master said to him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I love that it says a little right here. Really, this is a eschatology passage. And what I mean by eschatology passage, this is a passage that also foretells the future of what the new kingdom, of what uh, the new heaven is going to be like. And we get a picture right here that part of what it's like is that we're going to be given more responsibility, more opportunity based on how faithful we've been here. So there's a picture of that going on, I believe, right here. But anyway, what does he say? You've been faithful over a little. You've been faithful over a million dollars, and the master calls that a little. That ought to tell you something about God's economy. He says, I will set you over much. You were given a, mil- uh, you were given a million. I'm going to give you much to be responsible for. I'm going to give you lots of opportunity. Enter into the joy of your master, the approval, the blessing, the covering, the kingdom. My spirit is upon you. My power is upon you. My approval is upon you because you've been faithful with what I've given. And so I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more opportunity. Now, that doesn't always equate money, by the way. Sometimes this has nothing to do with money. I think what it's most talking about is opportunity. Do you know that money doesn't make you happy just having money? Just having it doesn't make it. I remember John Rockefeller says, he said, the most, uh, he said the most depressed man in the world is a man who has money and nothing else. Uh, so money is not the answer. It's the opportunity. And that's what I believe that he's talking about right here. And he says, Master, you've delivered two talents here. I have made two more talents. And he says the exact same thing. This guy only has $800. The other guy's giving him $2 million. And he says the exact same thing. What does he say to him? He says, Master, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were good. You were faithful with what I gave you. You put it to work. You used it and you've multiplied it. Well done. He said, you have been faithful. Here's that term again. Over a little, I will set you over much. Again, think about the kingdom of God. Think about eternity being given much opportunity, much responsibility as well as I believe that can be true here on earth. Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the blessing. He also had received the one talent, came forward and saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. I think you see a picture of the gospel right here, by the way, uh, because of the Spirit of Christ that God uh, wants us to partner with him in the kingdom, but God... And we are not needed. God can bring people to Christ. God can work in through the kingdom however he chooses. But he invites us to be a part of that process. But we know this, the sovereign God of the universe, he can reap where we've not sown and gather where we've not planted seed. So I was afraid. You see part of his motivation, part of the problem. I'm afraid. 
and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Hey, I just want you to know you're tough, you're hard. I know you expect a lot, so I hid it. Here it is. So let me modernize this for you for just a moment. So suppose you applied for a job, and a guy said, Look, I'm about to go overseas. I'm going to be gone for two years, but I've got 100 homes, and I just need you to sell those while I'm gone. They're, they'll all be completed, completely built here in the next month or two, but I'm going to be gone, and so I want to entrust you to sell those for me. Now, here's $200,000. You can use that for marketing. You can use that however you want to get started, and when we get back, we'll settle up, and, uh, and we'll, we'll settle up, and we'll just we'll make all this right, okay? And so you say, that sounds great. So you take us $200,000 and you start thinking about it. God, man, what if, what if I use some of this marketing and it doesn't work? And what if I take some of this and I give it and, and, and then I lose some of this money? And what if I don't sell any of these houses? So you decide, you know what, I'm just going to stick it all in my mattress. So you take that $200,000, you cash that check, and you put it all in your mattress. And when the guy comes back, he goes, well, tell me what you've done. He goes, well, here's your $200,000. He goes, I know, I know that's a big responsibility. You have a lot of stuff. I didn't want to make any mistakes. I didn't want to mess anything up. So here it is. You think he'd be happy? Well, thank you. Thank you for giving me my money back. No, he'd think, you crazy? Do you understand the opportunity that you've wasted? There are a hundred houses that have just been sitting out there that could have been sold. You could have at least tried. You could have at least taken this money and then put it in the bank, but you did nothing. I, I know I didn't want to take any risk. I wanted to make sure you get your money back. Do you see the absurdity? That's what's transpiring here. And so what does he say to him? He says, you wicked and lazy or slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested, there's that word, investment, my money with the bankers. Continue. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. That's a picture for us. At least we ought to have what God has given us with a little bit of interest. But he's not just looking for a little bit of interest. He's looking for us to multiply for the kingdom. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Remember I said, you know what? To him who is faithful with much, more will be given. That's exactly what transpires here. For to everyone who has will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, it will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what do we see? The master calls us first. He has entrusted us. He's entrusted you with a job. He's entrusted you with a home. He's entrusted you with a family. He's entrusted you with friends. He's entrusted you with a neighborhood. He's entrusted you with skills. What are you doing with them for his glory? Number two, the master blesses. Those who began to use it doesn't mean that they never lost, doesn't mean that they made every sale, doesn't mean that they didn't make mistakes, but he blesses, he blesses their efforts. And he was a part of their efforts because it's exactly what he wanted to do. I think the master set them up for success. Now, let me say this sometimes you fail, sometimes you're following Christ and it goes wrong, sometimes you lose money, sometimes you lose relationships, sometimes you just lose. But can I tell you the great thing about our God? He is, a, he is the God of the universe who's about redeeming everything that you do for his glory. That's the great thing, that even when you make a mistake, he has the power to redeem it.
for his glory. It's a great investment plan. So he blesses those who took the risk, who invested what they had according to their ability, according to what they'd been given. And number three, he calls for judgment. He calls for judgment. We're all given opportunities, but we'll be held accountable for how we steward what we have. We're going to be held accountable for how we steward, how we manage what we've been given. And what what we really believe about God is revealed in how we steward the gifts and the blessings that we've been given. What we think about God, how we really feel about Him, we find out what we really think and what we really believe by what we do with what we've been given. Here's the word that I would say. You know, a lot of times we worry about the exact amount. What's the amount that I'm supposed to give? What's the exact amount? Can I tell you this? And I think, I think that's important. But I tell, you know what's really important in the economy of God? It's not the amount you give. It's the amount you withhold. That's what God's really concerned about. The amount that you withhold. And let me say this. He's not talking about, well, you know, I've, in, I've been indulging. I've been, <laughs> I do a lot of things, and so I don't have much. No, you were given an amount. Okay? God doesn't look and say, well, because you have lots of bills. Well, quit having some of those bills. Sell some things. Get rid of some things. Reduce. Uh, this is not a sermon about giving, but I can tell you the one, number one way for you to have more money? Spend less. Real simple. Spend less. If you spend less, you have more. But what does he say? You're either indulging, you're investing, or you're amassing. Hoarding would be the word. This guy was hoarding. That's what he did. He didn't invest it. He didn't use it. He, went and he dug a hole and he put it in there. And I've heard people say this before. You know, I, I don't really give or serve right now, but one day when I die, whatever I have, I'm just going to let God have that. That was the wicked servant. That's exactly what the wicked servant did. When I die, here it is, God. I haven't done anything with it, but I'll give it to you when I'm gone. And no, that's not, the, that's not just coming. Guess what? He doesn't need it. You need it. He doesn't need us to give. We need us to give. How are you investing in the kingdom today? I, I want to tell you our evangelism strategy. Not a lot of people know this because it's in my head primarily, and I don't share it that, very, that often. But here's our evangelism strategy. It goes like this. This is mine. This is what I do, and I want to invite you as a church. You're going to hear more about it in the future, but here's what we do. Pray for somebody that's in your influence. The Bible calls it our oikos, our oikos. What is the oikos? It's often, if you look in Acts chapter 2, and verse 38 and verse 48, you'll see that the oikos was called the household, but what he's talking about, those people in your influence. So it would be those people that you work with, your friends, people in your neighborhood, as well as your family. This is not just talking about your family. It's talking about people that you have relationship capital with, your oikos. And we're called, and the way the New Testament expanded is the disciples and the evangelists went out, and then as people accepted Christ, they would go back to their oikos and share the good news. So I want to invite you this morning, I want to challenge you this morning to invest in your oikos, your relationship influence, friends, coworkers, neighbors, and family. That's your oikos. 
So I want to invite you to do that. So what do you do first? Pray for them. Who, who are people who don't know Christ or have fallen away from Christ in your oikos and begin to pray for them? Specific name, not just general. Don't just pray. God be with all the sinners. That's you too. Who are you, who are you praying for, okay? Who's in your oikos? Um, you know what? When I pray with my children each night, there are families that we mention in our oikos that we pray for. Pray for those in your oikos. Number two, invest in those relationships. Invest in those relationships. Go to lunch with them. Have coffee with them. Spend time. Invest in those relationships. And number three, invite. Invite them to hear the gospel. You share the gospel with them. If you don't feel comfortable, that's not the place we are, bring them to church. We have events all the time that people in your oikos can come to and hear the gospel. So invite them. I hope you can do it personally. If not, we have some classes we'd love for you to take. But nevertheless, pray, invest, invite. Real simple. Pray, invest, invite. You can do that. And I want to challenge you to do that. Now, I want to end with a video I want you to see of a young lady that somebody in her oikos invited her. And this is what transpired because of that. Her name is Erin Bixler. I remember as I was driving home that night, I thought about how easy it would be to just turn the wheel of my car, drive off the road, and that would be it. I would finally be gone. So one Sunday in January 2015, my best friend invited me to go to Rock Point with her. And although I was reluctant to go because I hadn't enjoyed any other churches I had been to, I still went. And you know when you laugh because other people are laughing or you begin to cry because someone else is crying? Well, that's how I felt about church. And I enjoyed church because I saw how much everyone else enjoyed church. And although it felt good at first, it eventually became a burden. And I noticed how all of these people felt so free and so changed when they attended church, but I never understood why I never felt the same way. I became so frustrated when people would claim that they sensed God or felt God's presence because I never felt the same way no matter how hard I tried. But the thing was, I wasn't just frustrated about church. I was constantly beating myself up about everything. And between my freshman and sophomore years, my anxiety became so severe that it turned into depression. And I felt like my own mind was against me. And seeing the joy in other people would make me so upset because I didn't have that. And a while later, I started medicine and started seeing a psychologist. But overall, I still just felt numb. And one night, I recall texting one of my friends about how miserable I had been for these past few weeks. I remember saying, I have all of these good things, but I can't appreciate them. And I thought, I don't want to kill myself, but I want to die. I remember that night as I was driving home, I thought about how easy it would have been to just turn the wheel of my car and drive off the road, and that would be it. I would finally be gone. Although I never ended up feeling as empty as I did that one night, I would still get pretty anxious even leading up to this past summer when I decided to go on the mission trip to New Orleans. At the end of the week, we were having a time of sharing and reflection, and everyone was talking about transformation and how they experienced God in their life, but I couldn't relate. 
I shared my story with the group, emphasizing that before the trip, I hadn't trusted in Christ. And now, well, nothing had changed. So after the conversation, Destin talked about making a plan of action, like a way to connect with the Lord and to become closer with God. But I remained desperate and confused. How could I make a plan of action if I hadn't even learned to accept God into my life? And for the next few moments, I sat with Destin in that room talking about God and the price Jesus paid to save us. And Destin let me know that all I needed to do was put my trust in God. And it was simple as that. And within those next few minutes, I said a prayer trusting in Him. And I can't even explain what I felt in that very moment. But I just started to cry because I realized that it was so easy and God was right in front of me the entire time. After simply just giving my life to Christ, I realized that God had taken me on this journey to show me that I can't do this alone, and all I needed to do was to trust in Him. And since July 12th, it's been the absolute best year of my life. I'm constantly hearing from God and seeing Him work through my life and other people's lives. And now I genuinely love going to church and talking about Christ, and I'm always wanting to learn more about Him. And if you're feeling the same way that I did, I promise you're not alone. As cheesy as it sounds, it's the truth. And Christ is with you every step of the way. All you need to do is just trust in Him. Amen. Well, there's a picture of what a young girl in our audience here invested and invited someone who was in her oikos. And uh, she was, that girl right there was one of the girls that was baptized here today, trusting Christ her Savior. Her whole family's here. So I challenge you, who are you praying for? Who are you investing in? And who are you inviting? What are you doing with the time, the talent, the resources, the opportunity that God has given you? We're going to receive an offering here in just a moment. And uh, you might be thinking, um, yeah, you kind of primed me up for this one, didn't you? But I want to tell you that um, we're going to do this a little different. If you're here this morning, in front of you there's a card, a uh, connect card. You can pull that out. If you're a member or a visitor, you can pull that out. And uh, if you're a visitor, we especially want you to take that out. And then just drop that off in the back as you exit here. There's some boxes on that. If you need to make a, a donation or a gift, you can do that too. And the boxes are on the sides of the wall. Uh, if you're ready to begin a relationship with Christ, would you mark that on there? If you have a prayer request, would you mark that on there? If you're a member or a visitor, it doesn't matter. And then just drop that in there when you come. But in just a moment, we're going to take up our offering. But before we do that, I want to pray. And, uh, and then I want to give you some more instructions. So if you would, uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for entrusting us with resources and with opportunity. And I pray, Lord, that we would be found faithful to you. That one day, Lord, we would stand before you at the end of our days. And you say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, as we experience your blessings, that we would recognize those are not just meant for our simple enjoyment, but, Lord, for your furtherment of your kingdom. And, Lord, let, let us always remember that there will be a judgment day one day to give an account for all that we've been given. Lord, I pray that we would be good stewards of the gospel, that, Lord, we would be ready to share it, not to amass it, not to just indulge in it and say, God, this is good for me, but, Lord, to invest it 
in other people's lives. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that, Lord, you would convict us, and that, Lord, we would follow through. I ask these things in your name. Amen.